0: Everybody, it's a huge pop wrestling podcast with your huge pop host we're out here to listen to some huge pops from our guest tonight below we got johnny Cass. our guest is from best known from his time spent in ecw he's been in other things he's been a promoter it is bay ragney other known as chubby dudley how are you doing tonight my friend
1: I'm ready to pop huge.
0: Woo, huge! Let's go! <laughs> let's go! We're gonna make this thing happen. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this is probably the first question you hear from everybody. Maybe a question you even use. Um, at what moment did you realize that you wanted to be in the perfect in the wrestling business?
1: <laughs> um. So the, the crazy thing is. I, I am wrestling was my backup plan in life. <laughs> I, I, my, my original, uh, dream and, and goal of what I wanted to do was I, I wanted to be, and I'm not even going to say, cause I never said I wanted to be a musician, but I wanted to be a rock star. And that's what I used to say, okay. um, through my teenage years of the eighties. And the thing that started making me even contemplate pro wrestling was watching the, uh, Old NWA Crockett shows, and every week I'd be like, by the end of the show, I'm like sitting on the edge of my bed watching it, and I'm getting so hyped, and and it was like, uh, like I was just like I just saw a Rocky movie, and I'm like freaking out, and I was like, all right, all right, may, maybe I could become a pro wrestler because I was always a chubby guy, and um you know, you very rarely saw overweight rock stars in the in the music business, so. I was like, all right, well, it makes more sense because I am uh, the fat guy. So I might as well just uh, use my weight and go into pro wrestling. And that's what happened in 1990. Um, You know, the music scene was starting to change a little. Um, I could tell like the end of that era was starting to happen. It was just becoming so oversaturated and things were changing. And the whole wrestling idea seemed much more. Realistic thing to do so I sold My guitars and my amplifiers and Got my down payment for wrestling school And there it started September of 1990
0: nice nice So before that we As a kid or growing up were you a Wrestling fan as a kid
1: Yeah I started watching wrestling I was probably Around 10 11 years old And my Uncle was the one that Turned me on to it because he was a He was crazy he was a huge Huge wrestling fan Um, and maybe like once every few months I would go and like spend a weekend with down with my aunt and uncle and my cousin and they had cable TV. We could, uh, me and my mom couldn't afford cable TV, um, growing up. And so I would go there and I'd see like TBS and started seeing all these, uh, wrestling that he was watching. And I'd be like out in the kitchen with my cousin, like playing Atari or reading comic books or something. And I'd hear my uncle screaming at the television set. And I'm like, what the hell is he watching? Because I knew he was weird because he was not a sports fan at all, but he was obsessed with pro wrestling. So, you know, fast forward 15 years later, when I start getting into the business, um, I, I used to bring tapes of my matches to him to sit and watch with him. And he used to say the same thing up until the day he died. He's just like, Bay you can't tell me it's fake i it's it's a hundred percent real, and I was like, all right, uncle Ralph, it's real, whatever you want to say it's real,
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 that's awesome man so
2: uh, real not- quick I want, I, I'd like to touch up on something um, sure so uh getting into the realness of professional wrestling, and I'm sure you could probably uh agree with me, chubby, on this um in my opinion and what I've gone through, especially in school and then actually performing in, in front of people. I've been a pro now for about two and a half years. Nice. And um, the only thing that's, that's fake, the F word, fake, in pro wrestling are the storylines. Whereas to, when you go out into a ring, you have that other person's life in your hands and vice versa. And I found out the hard way, um, especially after I graduated from uh, the academy I went to, um, and transition into uh, Sunday's open gym practice um, when I was starting to take kicks to the chest mm. or to the body where they're actually making contact as well as, you know, you learning how to take the brunt of the impact of like punches, uh, power slams, um, body slams, and all of that stuff too. And that's one of the things that, that I'm, I'm not going to say most fans um, but especially the IWC, the internet wrestling community doesn't under, really understand or wrestling fans or non-wrestling fans, I'm sorry, in general that don't understand
1: it. You know, the crazy thing, when I started wrestling school September of 90, um, it, and, and I was in school for a while because I had ended up breaking my ankle and I was out for six months and um, some other reasons. But um in those early 90s they were still teaching you and I, the way i was taught was to work smooth work light and don't lay it in and the crazy thing was you know in that four year span four and a half year span um how the business just did a complete reversal and it went from work light and don't stiff your uh, opponent in the ring to Well, guess what? Now you got to work tight. You got to work stiff, and you have to lay it in. Like I, I remember, you know, after the whole ECW thing, you know, when I'm in there with a guy, I, I would tell him, yeah, I don't give a shit. Fucking hit me. It's not going to hurt me. Just hit me and lay it in. Because if that crowd thinks that it it looks weak, I'm going to stiff the shit out of your back. So just lay it in. I have no hard feelings.
0: I didn't realize. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm a wrestling fan, and um, I didn't watching it on TV. I know the storylines, blah blah blah. I didn't realize how intense the indies get. Oh yeah. I went, to, I went to an indie show, and I, oh my god, they like. I got a chair behind me. That chair, the big old dent from going over two or three guys' heads, and it, they didn't let go. It was just wham, 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 and so it's it. Gets intense. So I just, I my hat goes off to you guys for going through all that.
1: Well, I, I also, too, like again, with like with the indies, like you know, extreme changed everything. And then, um, again, in the Philadelphia area, you had like combat zone wrestling that was even more hardcore. But then there was the whole initial era of Ring of Honor, like Johnny was talking, taking those kicks. And that was a big thing where that came from. That whole style with the kicks and everything was that Ring of Honor style, more that, um, Japanese style wrestling. And I mean, pff, that's some stiff freaking shit. Like Johnny said, man, you, you're you getting them kicks to the chest. You, you feel it. You're going to have those marks yeah. for a little bit of time.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite shows to watch is GCW because they don't hold anything back. Those guys go, you know, so
1: um,
0: so growing up watching TV, watching wrestling, obviously, what was your favorite huge pop moment as a fan? Do you, you remember?
1: Oh, um, Early on, early, early, early on, um, probably the, the hugest pop moment I remember as a kid was when Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas uh, beat the Samoans on TV for the belts. Nice. Yeah.
0: That's huge. That's a big one. Yeah. Mine is when Hogan comes down at Daytona Beach and drops his leg on uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. And to me, that changed the. Uh, <laughs> the the um the the, the grounds of re- professional wrestling as it was because at that point in time it was a dead it was in my opinion it was dead yeah and uh, that man that was intense what about you Johnny
2: uh well me being a huge Hardy uh, Mark I'd have to say WrestleMania seventeen and <laughs> that triple threat tag match for the belts in the TLC match That's and an just seeing Edge seeing edge jump off of the top rope and spear and Hardy while, as he was like hanging on to the, to the ring up there on top that was holding the belts was just like, that made me just jump right out of my chair and be like, what the (laughs) hell, what the hell (laughs) that was actually that moment where it was like, I've got to do this at some point in my life where I knew I had to do something like this or get into the business some way, shape or form or whatever. Um, but, and I, uh, Kinda of waited a little bit a little bit. Uh ended up having a couple of kids in my early twenties, mid twenties, but I, I managed everything somehow and here I am for the last two and a half years.
0: Nice. You have a you have a question for our guest, Johnny?
2: Uh actually actually, yeah. So I I gotta say, like the one thing this is gonna lead off into uh uh, Bully Ray a little bit okay. uh, and the the one thing that I love most about him is that I've actually done a seminar with him Uh I don't know if you know who Frankie Del Faco is no oh uh, he's up here in uh, Wisconsin and him and Bully are good friends and he came down to do a seminar for him <laughs> and uh I spent probably about maybe three hours at that seminar talking with Bully and and he was doing some really good stuff for us and and uh talking to us and picking his brain and all that good stuff and i gotta say like it, it he's he actually and this is the one thing i don't think most fans and up-and-coming stars and wrestling don't understand um is that he has um he or he does constructive criticism and i was going to ask you what your thought it would what your thought on constructive criticism, especially in today's world, um, what your thoughts are on that with, especially with the new, uh, younger generation and the younger generation kind of being a little bit sensitive. And in my opinion, if you're going to be a little sensitive in today's world, especially when it comes to professional wrestling, this business isn't for you, but that's my opinion. I'm not trying to sound like an asshole here. I
1: agree a thousand percent. Yeah. um, you know, I, I I love hearing that about about Mark. Um he uh somebody just said to me the other day too, that they feel like he's like now truly getting like his just due and respect for not just all of his years of in ring work, but the mind that he has for the business. Um and, and he's a dude who and I, I haven't talked to him in probably at least 15 years, um, and I just said on in an interview last week that I remember when he came in the ECW, and he was very, very green. Same with Devon. Both of them very, very green, and I was, like, shocked that they were getting used off the bat. Um, but in the time that I was there with them, I saw the hard work they were putting in, And in the short time that we were that I was part of the Dudleys and I was there for over a year, a year and a half, I saw them grow tremendously. Fast forward years later, I mean, the talent and knowledge that those guys have and what they accomplished, I don't think anybody ever expected for them to do what they did. And they did it because they're dedicated. They busted their ass, and they truly love the business. And you're absolutely right. If you're if you're gonna want somebody to coddle you and hold your hand and not give you criticism, it, it doesn't matter what business you're in. You shouldn't be in it because you're never going to survive. And I would rather have Bully Ray or Devon or anybody, you know, with some type of experience, take that time to criticize me. it's only going to help you take the criticism be be a professional in in any uh business that you're in learn because the most important thing is learning and you can never ever learn everything to do with again any business that you're in so keep learning every day and take the criticism and then say thank you at the end of it because that person just helped you
2: right and I also thanked him, too, at the end of the seminar for uh, being a host on Busted Open because I feel like um, me being a independent professional wrestler, I feel like I'm still learning and he's still teaching. Yeah. And I'm getting those daily lessons Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday whenever I listen, mainly Monday through Friday. And he, and as he's talking about the business and uh, especially when he's when he's talking about his days in ACW and the early WWF when it was the Attitude Era. And um, also like, especially now with working in the independence and it's just like a never ending class. And I'm very, very thankful for that. And I proudly pay the monthly subscription just so I can have that.
1: I've never heard his show. and that, that's, I, I, I do truly need to hear it. It's, it's funny because once in a blue moon, people will, will mention me on on the show or whatever to him and um this was uh probably about six seven years ago um one of my best friends is a tattoo artist back outside of philadelphia and the guy that owns the shop he works at's a huge wrestling fan and i walked in there one day and he's like dude bubba ray was talking about you on his uh, radio show i'm like what did he say <laughs> i'm like i was like shocked and he's like yeah he said you're dead i'm like what he said, because somebody called up and asked him, is Chubby coming to your house for Thanksgiving dinner? He's like, I think that guy died. I'm like, uh, okay. You might want to reach out to him, man. I'm alive. Guess what? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that, would be, here.
2: that would be really cool to hear you uh, to hop on Busted Open, even if it's for a like 15-minute interview or something. That would be kind of cool to hear. I,
1: I would love, to, you know, I would love to, to, to do that with him. Um, I, I actually interviewed Devon on my show. Um, before I moved to Nashville, it was a few months before I moved to Nashville. I had uh, he was appearing at Wizard World uh comic convention in Philly, and I went to go and see him, and then we uh we ended up hanging out for like an hour and a half and just talking, and you know talking about everything that happened in ECW between us and the years and everything, and um it was an amazing amazing conversation and. Um, he ended up doing my show afterwards and I interviewed him and um, we had a blast. I haven't talked to him since though. Yeah.
0: So you heard it right here on, on Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast, Bubba Dudley. Chubby said he's still alive. So we'll clip that and put that on um, TikTok so you can so he can I, know.
1: I, I, I'm pretty sure he, yeah, do that. But I'm pretty sure he knows now because people are constantly, you know, when they make these appearances at these conventions, both Bubba and Devon, um, people are always like, Sending me pictures on Facebook, in, in messaging me. They're like, "Hey, just met your brothers. Just met your brother. They told me you were asking for them." I'm like, "Oh, great, thanks." Nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: 1991 to 1992, you were in the independent circuit. Where were you, and who did who did you who did the training in the beginning?
1: So, I trained at the old Tri-State Wrestling Alliance Wrestling School in Philadelphia, um, which was the precursor to ECW. So. Um, I was trained initially by Larry Winters and Ron Shaw, who was an old, um, WWWF, uh, jobber. Um, they were my two initial trainers. And then Ron had to take a leave just because of his normal day gig. He was a bus driver. Um, and then, uh, Larry was the main trainer and then Larry ended up getting hurt in the ring and he was out for like six months. So then, um, Johnny Hotbody and Tony Stetson took over for my training. And then, um, then I got hurt. And then I was out for six months. And then when I came back at that point, um, I was getting ready to make my debut in February of 92 for Tri-State Wrestling Alliance. And um, the promotion folded in January of 92. So at that point, I was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? Like, I'm, I'm screwed. I never got to debut. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows if I can work. Nobody knows nothing about me. Um, but the day that TWA folded and everything, um, later that day, I was involved in the initial meeting of uh, ECW. So I had my in with ECW that way. They knew who I was. Um, I guess it was probably a couple months later after ECW got up and running, um i got a tryout match and uh i was in
0: oh ecw are you talking eastern
1: championship eastern championship wrestling yeah okay yeah so so i wrestled for eastern championship wrestling as one of the hell riders as easy rider from 92 and 93 and then um that was when eddie gilbert came in was handling the booking and then um eddie basically cleaned house and of most of the Philly guys and brought in a lot of the Memphis guys and you know more named talent and much better talent as well um, so at that point I ended up started working for Jim Kettner in Delaware with ECWA and I worked for him uh, da, 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 as sing I was doing singles and I worked for him 93 94 95 once I um, got asked to go back to ECW that's when I um, left Ketner Okay,
0: can you, can you talk to us about the April third, nineteen ninety three match versus the Super Destroyers for the ECW Tag Team Champions?
1: Oh, look at you! He's got dates. Do you do you know where that was? Um, what what was that?
0: The, was? I think it was the inaugural episode of ECW Hardcore TV. Oh God!
1: Oof. Uh, <laughs> you know it's crazy when um, ninety two and ninety three. As we were doing the, the 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 circuit for ECW, we were in a feud with the Super Destroyers, and we were number one contenders, and we were getting a nice little push. And there was some talk of possibly giving us the straps, and I was like blown away because it, it was a good feud and it was fun, and we were over, which was great. What's up, Zach Velocity? How's it going? So, then once we got the TV deal and Eddie came in, we just got completely squashed out. and we we were the very first match in ECW TV history it was uh, us against the super destroyers, and we just we got completely jobbed out.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
2: Johnny yeah that 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 really sucks. I still honestly and th- and this is another thing too, like I want to touch up on. Um, in my two and a half years in the, in the independent professional wrestling scene, um, I still have not had a, a title match yet. And I refuse to have a title match handed to me until I feel like I've earned it. Mm. And, uh, I want to touch up on something here too, real quick. And the one person that taught me that, um, and that I, that I respect most out of, uh, all the wrestlers that I actually like is, uh, Austin Aries. Um, he took the time to uh, talk with me for about five minutes at StarCast three. And um, uh, he's the one that pretty much taught me like um, never go after anything unless you uh, unless you've earned it, unless you deserved it, unless you worked hard for it. Right. Um, and that actually came from when I met him. Uh, I have this belt right here. This X Division title belt. And in my opinion, um, Austin Aries was the X division when he was in TNA wrestling. And uh, I asked him, I was like, well, Hey, when I take my picture with you, do you mind holding this over your shoulder? And then that's when he, when he said that he doesn't hold championships, that he doesn't win. And then we talked about that for a couple of minutes. So that kind of stuck with me a little bit. And uh, it kind of like never left. And ever since then, it's like, well, um, I'm not I'm in I'm in this business to make money and to win championships. But in order for me to win championships, I've, I want to feel like I've worked for it. I want to feel like I've earned it. You know what I mean?
1: But how do you feel if the promoter feels you're ready for it?
2: Uh, I, I feel like if, if the promoter feels like he's ready for me. To have a title shot, then I feel like I've put in the work and effort and uh hard work to earn that spot.
0: Okay, now you were a promoter, was am I right? Um, Mr. Yeah, um, Dudley, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. promoter, booker, yeah, did it all.
0: <laughs> Is there one person that influenced you the most in your time as a wrestler?
1: Oh, um. As a wrestler, my biggest influences were um, Adrian Adonis, Mick Foley, Steve Austin. And, th- and this was all, you know, early in their careers, you know, stunning Steve Austin, um, not Stone Cold, um, Cactus Jack, um, guys like that, Midnight Express. Those were always uh, my favorite, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. They were all my big influences. Um, But the one thing I really learned about myself with ECW was um, I at that point I was starting to, I was already uh, promoting shows too when I went back as a Dudley, but I learned I actually liked the promoting booking end more than the in-ring part. And so when I was, like, just become part of this sideshow as Chubby Dudley, um, I got lazy. I really did be- because I didn't have to do anything. I would just go out there and be part of the sideshow, take a chair shot, take a bump. Um, and then at the end of the night, I went and lived like a rock star and partied like a rock star and, you know, had everything and anything I wanted and then i'm in magazines i'm on tv every week so i had all the perks props and everything accolades for basically doing nothing so i i got very lazy but then i also um my biggest influence early on was joel goodhart the original twa promoter but then seeing paul in action paul Heyman um behind the scenes with ecw that really um Watching him create you know and and talk about his vision of angles and then watching them old unfold in front of your eyes was just i I was more into wanting to do that than be in the ring
0: talking about Paul Heyman, I mean, if you watch any of the SmackDown in the last three years, in my opinion, he's genius
1: oh absolutely in,
0: in that story like was he as genius in the story as he is in the story as he was. As a promoter, a booker, and all that good stuff that you talked about for for ECW, is he just that big? Of, is he a brainiac of all brainiacs when it comes to wrestling?
1: You, you know, it's funny because I I don't know, and I don't know if anybody's ever talked about. It. I'm sure somebody has, but I've never heard him talk about it. I don't know how involved he was in his character in stuff when he was in WCW with the you know. Um, coming up through the ranks in in the late 80s and the 90s. Um, So that part I really didn't know. I just knew him as his TV character of Paulie Dangerously. When he came in to ECW, when we were still Eastern Championship Wrestling, um, he was best friends with Eddie Gilbert. And at one point in time, they were like roommates. And um, I saw instantly when Paul came in to work behind the scenes and help like eddie's assistant i saw an instant change in in ecw and i didn't see it with eddie gilbert and i knew a lot about eddie gilbert and i was super excited and stoked when uh, i was told gilbert was coming in when we did the first set of tapings with eddie i was like oh this is not good like this is garbage and then when paul came in on the next set of tapings there was like a different Error in the room, so to say. Um, and then after, you know, I got phased out and I was hearing what was going on in the promotion. And then once Eddie was fired and Paul took over, you know, <laughs> what Paul was doing was, you know, just changing the whole game of professional wrestling. And he changed, I, I mean, what he created in his head. And brought to fruition changed the business in every single aspect and you know that's why 30 years later people still want to talk to me because i was there and i got to you know be a small part of history yeah. you know and I, I would sit there um you know the fan in me was huge popping every freaking show because yeah. i couldn't believe my eyes what was going on and it, it was just amazing. It really was.
0: Right, three years ago when Roman Reigns came in and walked in that Rock locker room, and there was Paul, and that exploded into what the Bloodline is now. I looked at uh, my. I talked to my brother the next day. I said, "That's money. That's going to go forever because that's because that's who Paul is. You can just tell." So, um, but yeah, touch. I'm going to touch back on what you guys said about um, uh, Bubba Ray being a uh, a a knowledgeable person. I watch him on impact every week. And um, I'm telling you, I mean, Johnny, and I talk about this all the time, guys like Bubba, that's in the back, people like Johnny, that he ought to be taking a, listen to him, taking that time to just shut up and listen to what he has to say. And too many times you see um, wrestlers don't want to do that. They don't, they won't want to listen to these vets. They want to complain about the vets. Don't want to listen to the vets. I mean, is that did that type of thing happen back when you were early on?
1: Um, yeah, because at that point of time, it was and, and I mean, I'm completely out of the loop of what's going on today in the business. Maybe Johnny, you can fill us in, but back in the you know the early mid nineties, the veterans would come in, do their mm-hmm. job. Uh, what they were asked to do. Some would do it without a complaint. Some would complain. And some would be like, eh, with the locker room and just keep in a corner and get their paycheck and go about their business and goodbye. And others would be, you know, very cool and talk and answer questions with the young guys. So it it all mattered on um, who it was. But for the most part, I bet you 75% of the guys back then, we're just coming in just to collect a paycheck gotcha.
2: donnie yeah i'd uh i'd have to uh agree with you on that one too as well as uh i'll give you an example too um uh, i was told i i went to a shane douglas seminar okay. um, it's, i want to say back in gosh april okay march or april around that and it was in in indiana and i live on i live in eastern iowa so uh, i live on the borderline of illinois wisconsin um so i drove probably about five and a half six hours there um then i'm not going to name the promotion um in my opinion the promotion there was kind of garbage uh but i was grateful for them to uh let me um do the seminar um Uh, with shane douglas and the one thing i've wanted to ask uh one of these guys too is what do they think about seminars like especially in today's day and age and shane straight up he didn't hold nothing back he was he was like straight up with me and said to be honest with you about 80 80 percent of them are just cash grabs to the legends that are in the business he's like in order for anyone that's in the business, that's up and coming to truly understand what we're all about is to go out there and perform and do your best and get your reps in. That's the only way to figure figure out um, who you are, who you want to be, what you want your character to be, um, as well as uh, combining a little bit of your own reality, sprinkling a little bit of that into your character and who you want him to be. Yeah. And that kind of stuck with me a little bit on who Johnny Cass is. And I'm still figuring out and it's, it's been two years, but I'm still figuring out who Johnny Cass truly is, but I got i am I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm over with the crowds that I, that I perform in front of, but they're starting to get there. And that really proved, uh, I want to say, the last weekend when I had my last match.
1: Do you work mostly uh, face or heel?
2: Uh, mostly face. I did uh, turn heel at a promotion uh, back in April, and uh, that promotion kind of went under. So right now I'm, I'm uh, I guess I'm a tweener. I guess you want to call it uh, for right now uh, until I get stuff figured out in this other brand new promotion that I'm working for right now.
1: Hit me up on uh, Facebook, dude. I'll like check out some of your matches.
2: Oh, most definitely, man. I appreciate that.
0: So, if you were still in the business, Mister Dudley, um, who would you want to face in that dream match if we could go back and do it? Ooh.
1: The first name that popped in my mind um, is somebody who. Um, Became one of my best friends, not only in the business, but outside of the business, um, still to this day. And we never, he's the guy that finished my training um, after TWA went under and got me my tryout match with Todd at ECW. And it was funny, I was almost was about 15 years ago, I was starting to dabble in possibly doing a comeback. And I, Asked him, I said, come on, let's do one match or maybe even let's set up a feud. You know, I could probably get us some bookings with some promoters in the Philly area. But we just never did it. And, and that's uh, Jimmy Gennetti, who was mm. uh, an old TWA guy and an early ECW guy. And actually he was, he also, he finished me and Steve Richards training together. Um, the very first match in ECW history. Uh, was him and steve richards they did a it was a student versus teacher match and they did a twenty minute broadway nice nice nice.
0: so in your journey through the e c w through the independence and um in the mid atlantic scene is there any car rides um stories you could share
1: <laughs> uh, um, the, the, the probably the the funniest car ride was um so i used to hang out a lot with the old NWA New Jersey promoter, Dennis Carluzzo. Uh, he was a very good friend of mine. And after I had left ECW, i started working, um, for Dennis and <laughs> we were Dennis's old, um, he had his own lackey, uh, Gino Moore, uh, Gino was his lackey sound guy, ring announcer. Um, and driver and Gino had like a conversion van and he would load up, you know, a bunch of the boys and they would drive. And I rode with them to a show in Jersey somewhere. I don't even remember where, but it was me. I think it was uh, a good friend of mine, Frank Cody It was Harley Lewis, Derek Domino, who were the misfits and the iron Sheik. Mm. And we just sat in the back of the van drinking the whole ride up and the chic he literally just he sat in the sat in one of the like swivel recliner chairs in the back and he would just look at us we were like popping beers drinking and he'd be like he just turn and go can i get one we're like uh yeah of course give him one he down it and he just looked over can i get one <laughs> it was and, and that's all he would like it, it, And he would just look at us, and we were like acting like jerk-off young punk kids in the business. And and he would just like give us that goofy smile and just look at you. Can I have one? And probably an hour, hour and a half into the ride, we we all have to take a leak. And we're on the side of the Garden State uh, Expressway in New Jersey. All of us lined up in a single line on the side of the highway, pissing. And I just look down, like I can't believe my eyes, what's going on? And I look down at the same time the Iron Sheik looks down too, and he's just got that <laughs> stupid smile looking down at us. It. Like I'm like I'm peeing on the side of the road with the Iron Sheik.
0: Nice, <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> so
0: I dabbed in a little bit. There's something about the Mid Atlantic scene. What can you talk about your experiences in the Mid Atlantic scene?
1: Um. Initially, uh, as soon as you when you said that initially, I, I'm I right away I thought of uh, like Jim Kettner and um, his whole thing he had in Delaware. He had an amazing um, promotion set up, and it was weird because that guy he was a promoter for like thirty something years, and for like the first thirty years, like he was like this little secret that nobody knew of. And he used to train all his guys, himself, in his apartment. He had a two-bedroom apartment, and the back bedroom in the apartment he had all filled with um, like, sofa cushions. The whole floor was on sofa cushions. And he taught his guys how to work in the back bedroom. He teach them their bumps and everything. So what he used to do, I, I, I had come out of... You know, Eastern Championship Wrestling, and a friend of mine who was a fan got me a tryout with Jim. So I go to go meet him at his apartment, and he brings me into the, the back bedroom with a couple of guys. I'm like, "What the fuck is this? Like, what what are we doing here?" And he hands me a a script, and I look at it. And I'm like, "What's this?" He's like, "This is your match." I said, what, "What do you mean? This is my match?" I'm like, "I'll call the match." He's like, no, 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 no. I stripped everything out. And he used to, you know, he would would run once a month and he drew great crowds, but he had his own crew of guys that he created every character and created every single match. And he had that whole match or uh, he had the storyline and matches put together for the whole year for every one of his characters for every show cool
2: that's awesome yeah,
1: that yeah. Cool. but th- it was crazy though like so then after he brought me in and then i got him to bring in a couple of the other old ecw guys and then he started getting away from the scripts and then he ended up creating um he started bringing a lot of the indie guys and he created the um the super eight tournament which became like this legendary tournament and for years it was like the um Biggest like singles indie tournament around.
0: Johnny, do you have any questions?
2: Uh, I would have loved to have uh, taken part in that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which part? The scripts or the super eight? Or the
0: the pissing outside of the road? I mean, drinking the (laughs) beer. Yeah, yeah. Pissing on the side of the road while staring at the (laughs) chic.
1: That'd
0: be that would, dude. I I wouldn't change that for a minute. I mean, that's that's pretty. No, not many people can say that. No, he, no,
1: the one—the one thing he said though at the end of the ride, which was hysterically, he's like, "This is the bestest ride ever." We're like, Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so to keep with that car ride thing, so when you guys are on the road, what kind of fast food joints or what kind of uh, restaurant joints did you guys hit up? Um, the,
1: the big, the big popular one then was uh, Denny's. Denny's. Nah. Yeah, getting them grand slam breakfasts.
0: Yeah, we still have a daddies over here. So, um, so let's talk about uh, extreme impact or extreme championship wrestling, nineteen ninety five and nineteen ninety six. Talk about your character, Chubby Dudley. How did you get that name? What did the character? What was the character's job in ECW?
1: Um, so what happened was the Dudleys debuted and. It was Big Dick, Dudley Dudley, and Little Snot. And I, at this point, this was, I guess, early 95, I had started watching ECW again. I had become a fan of of the promotion because I just loved what they were doing. I couldn't actually, I couldn't believe what they were doing. I was blown away. Um, and then when the Dudleys debuted, I, I was watching it, and I was like, holy shit, I could be a Dudley. Like... I look like an absolute freaking Dudley. And um, like two, three weeks later, Steve Richards called me up and he said, hey, he said, you know, we got this new gimmick, the Dudleys that Raven created, and I think you would fit perfectly. Are you interested in coming back? I'm like, fuck yes, (laughs) please. So uh, he's like, come down this weekend, meet us at the hotel after the the arena show, and I'll introduce you to Paul. So uh, I'm in the lobby talking with Richards and – Paul walks up and just says, oh, my God, another fucking Dudley. And that's how it started. And uh, Richards is like, hey, this is the guy I told you about. And Paul just said to me, he goes, you got a tie-dye shirt? I said, no. He goes, get a tie-dye. Um, he goes, what do you want your gimmick to be? And I always wanted to do, like, uh, a gorgeous Jimmy Garvin gimmick where I wanted to be beautiful Bay. So I said to him, uh, Studley Dudley. And he was like, no, not happening. Not at all. He's like, food, chubby Dudley. Bring food. Get a tie dye. See at the shows next weekend. And that was it. So
0: Raven was the originator of who thought of the Dudley, Dudley's? Yeah, yeah. Really, I love Raven. Yeah. I'm, that man was another
1: another genius in the business.
0: Oh my god! I mean, the things when as a re- as a wrestler he did in the in the mm-hmm. ring and all that. I mean, I was. I, I was one of those guys that, you know, you knew WCW is going to be on this day. You're like, I want to know what Raven's doing. You know, I want to see, I want I tuned in just to see Raven sitting in the corner, just and his flock and all this stuff. And it was just amazing. So I didn't realize, I did not realize that he was behind. Yeah. The Dudleys.
1: That yeah. Awesome. Cause they, they were actually, I mean, you can uh, almost kind of say uh, very early on um, in that ECW time. Yeah. I think, Raven brought the Dudleys out, and they were tied in with the Dudleys. And I kind of remember those first few shows I did, like, doing run-ins in Ravens matches. I I remember... I remember one with Conan for for some reason. I'm actually... I started this reaction channel where I'm going through the history of BCW TV and I'm watching it match by match and doing my reactions and opinions and all. So I'm kind of looking forward to see what happens when I get to the, the Dudley era to try to remember this stuff because, yeah, so, some of it's a little uh, foggy.
0: Yeah. So you would talk about gimmick. Your gimmick was a chubby guy with food and tie-dye shirt, blah, blah, blah. Now, do you think gimmicks are overused or not used enough in the wrestling
1: business? I, th- let me, let me say this too. I, I don't watch wrestling. I haven't really watched or paid attention to the business in 20 years since I retired. Okay. Um, with that being said, whenever I see something in passing on social media, if I hear a buzz about a match and then I'll like, you know, maybe searched out three matches in the last 10 years because I heard such a buzz about it. Um, I feel like almost every, and this goes male or female, it's almost like everybody's cookie cutter. They all kind of have the same look now, the same tights, the same this, the same that, and it's not, there's not many gimmicks or anything going on it seems like anymore. I mean, you know, there's some, I guess, like, where everybody used to have a gimmick. Now it's probably, like, it seems like 20% of the, you know, rosters have actual gimmicks. Right.
2: Yeah. Johnny? I, w- I would say it, it just depends. Um, but I, I mostly agree, agree with, uh, with uh, Chubby Dudley up there about how everything's kind of cookie-cutter. Um, I'll give you an example. Look at what, look at what happened with, um, uh, Drew McIntyre. Uh, he he was a beast, like in, especially in the COVID era. And even though he won the championship, I I don't believe that was the right time for him. And then now everything that, that everything is back and he's got the sword. It's like, well, what's the point of having his sword? Like, what's the story behind it? Uh, the lineage is it? Is it from in, within his family? Da da da. But it's like I don't think you should probably incorporate that into your character, especially if you're. Um. Well, like, I guess maybe if it makes sense. Um. But in my opinion, he doesn't need it. Hmm. True.
0: True. Now, storylines. Let's talk about storylines. Um. In my opinion, as a wrestling fan in today's world. I see more storylines in the independents than I do in the big shows like AEW. I they have short storylines through the okay. that. The best storyline going right now is the Bloodline storyline has been for three years. But back in your time of your short time in wrestling, was there was storylines huge back then? I,
1: it's so important, I, you know. Storylines were always. Um, I I I mean, I used to say um wrestling was a male uh was a soap opera for men you know because of the storylines and johnny said something towards the end of of his last statement and it's got to make sense you know so many things like i i've done recap uh i've done um there's a podcast in australia that interviewed me a few years ago, I became friends with the guys and they'll have me do um, recaps with them for WrestleMania. So I'll actually watch WrestleMania. And I don't know who half the roster is probably 75% of the roster, but I uh, like half the show, like I'm watching it. I'm just like, it just doesn't make sense. Like what's going on just doesn't make sense. And stuff like that baffles me, especially when you have, um, you know, the, the WWE where they have 30, 40, professional hollywood sh- script writers writing storylines and, and stuff just doesn't make sense and it needs to make sense it, it's it's you, you're, you're, your 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 storylines need to make sense your matches need to make sense everything needs to make sense for it to work and go be over
0: right so yeah no i haven't you're right and um I have an opportunity to, on a weekly basis, interview guys from SICW, which is um, out of Missouri, St. Louis. Herb Herb Simmons is the promoter, and he's the one that brought in, um, like, uh, Cactus Jack and, um, you know, uh, Terry Funk, bless his heart. Um, You know, I should have started the show off with that, so I'm going to take a moment right now. Man we lost two individuals this year or Terry. this week and it's and my heart breaks for their families. Yeah. You know, they were great individuals. They, um, I mean, it was way too soon for Bray Wyatt, uh, you know, his family, his kids, and Terry Funk was amazing, you know, watching him growing up and, um, stuff like that. And I, so I, my heart goes out to those guys and I should have said that in the beginning, but, um, so I did that now, but, uh, yeah, it's just,
1: you know, wow. speaking of Terry Funk, it's it's um you know, we we talked early on about how um guys would come in and you know, take their bookings and kind of collect a paycheck for guys that were in their forties, fifties, etc. You look what, what Terry was doing in ECW in the nineties in his early mid fifties, that guy was going above and beyond anybody in the business at that point in time. He he was out working guys 10 15 20 years younger than him and he i, I mean he was 50 something years old and he's freaking barbed wire saw—it's fire like he didn't care he just put his whole heart and soul into it and it wasn't even about collecting the paycheck because that guy proved every time he stepped into that ring how much he truly loved the business
0: absolutely you can tell to up to the time he was done, you know that he loved the business and absolutely. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Um, so storylines, right? That's what you were involved in a great storyline. You were the the guy that brought the food to the ring, and you took your bumps and stuff like that, you know. And night April thirteenth, though, nineteen ninety six, the incident at the Massacre on Queen Boulevard, the debut of Devon Dudley. So my question is, did Devon not like you guys? Or was he just being? Was it character where he's being that big of a jerk that he wanted you guys done?
1: Um. So the the whole storyline with that was Devon wanted us to you know be serious. We we were we were comedy. We were a comedy team, comedy act, and he came in and wanted us to be extreme, and just to take things more seriously and not be a joke, um, which was a good angle because, you know, it, at first it was, he was part of the fold and then he broke away from the family and then uh, the feud started. And that was truly, um, and, I, and I've spoken about this in interviews before over the years, the match, it was, it was Bubba and Big Dick against Devon and Axel Rotten at the arena. That match, I felt, was truly the Dudleys' turning point. That was the night the Dudleys became extreme, became hardcore, and I think got respect of the fans on the other side of the guard route. And then we also, that night, got heat in the locker room because we were the opening match, and... We tore the fucking house down, and we ended up just brawling all through the arena. It was just balls to the walls all over the arena. Everything that was not nailed down was used, and we got back in the locker room. We were all jazzed; like we felt it. We felt it with the crowd. We felt, you know, we were getting such huge pops uh, all through the match. And when we were going back. Um, we got greeted as soon as we got through the curtain. We got our asses handed to us because we were the opening match, and we just fucking did everything out there, and there was nine more matches to go. And It's like, well, what are they going to fucking do now? Because we just did it all.
0: Ugh. Well, that, I would have said that's not your fault. That's the booker. That's how they booked it. If that was going to be the case.
1: Well, we, other... we, we kind of we,
0: – You went overboard?
1: We went way overboard, yeah.
0: Now, was that heat wave in July 13th? Was well, that where uh, Devon attacked you, and then you left um, the ECW right after that?
1: Mm-hmm. Remember that? It might have been. It might have been Heat Wave. It sounds about right. July. 13th. I don't. I don't know the ac- I don't know the dates, but okay. I, I know that 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 was the match. That was. Was that one? Of, that was. I left. Maybe about a month after. Uh, Spike came in. Okay. So whenever Spike came in in '96, I left a short time after that.
0: So was the guy that got onto you? Was that Paul Heyman in the back that got onto you, or is that?
1: Uh, it was Taz? Taz for sure. Um, there was a couple other guys. I think New Jack possibly was pissed. Yeah, a few of the guys were pissed. So
0: Did he talk to any of those ECW guys anymore?
1: um who do i talk i mean i occasionally talk to the ones who the main ones i kept in touch with over the years um meanie uh gertner sign guy they're they're the three main ones i've kept in touch with the most um i was just talking to dances with dudley about a month ago um when I was doing the convention circuit, when I was still living in Philly, you know, whenever I'd see anybody, you know, I, I got along with everybody. I always ran into everybody. So
0: talking about Blue Mini then? Yeah. Cool. Don, you got any questions for our for our guest?
2: Uh not not right now. Not as of right now. I'm still sure. uh still thinking.
0: So in 1994 to 2002, you, um, it looks like you were part of the Liberty All-Star Wrestling. That was when you, that's a um, promotion that you tried to start up. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Can you talk that's to us it. about that experience?
1: So um, what happened was, you know, like I was saying earlier about how Eddie Gilbert came in and um, started cleaning house. Um, we were like, what are we going to do now? We need a place to work. We, we want to. Because there wasn't that many promotions. Running around the Philadelphia area at that point. So I called a meeting with the boys. um, All the ECW guys that were let go. And even some of the ones that were still there. And said hey. This is what I want to do. It was me. um, The way I I put it out there. Was I I made the offer to everybody. like, Do you all want to go in on this? We'll become partners. And start a new promotion. And uh, I had about. 10 to 15 guys came over to my house on a Sunday afternoon and, um, none of them wanted to be partners. None none of them wanted to do it. They, they wanted to work, but they didn't want to go in on the business end of it. Um, a friend of mine, Frank Cody, who was, uh, he did some shots for ECW early on. He, uh, he stepped up, became my partner and a friend of his, uh, in his day job, who was a huge uh, wrestling fan and wanted to get in the business for years, but he was an older guy at that time and he, he, he might have been in his mid to late 40s then. Um, La- Larry Reed, Lucky Larry, um, we were the three original business partners of uh Liberty All Star Wrestling.
0: Okay, um, I liked what you said, you know, um, as far as uh, you people ought to listen, and you, you people ought to be able to take feedback mm-hmm. so did you learn anything from your experience as a promoter that you could share with other promoters that might watch this show later on or, or you know or whatever?
1: Oh God <laughs> yeah, don't do it. <laughs> uh, it it's it's such a you know it's fun but so stressful um, i I still would love to know the secrets to getting a good crowd because I, I ran, started in 94, ran a few times a year, 94, 95, 96. And then I kind of fizzled out for a few years, kind of like took a break from the business. And then when I came back in, in 98, I went balls to the walls from 98 to O2. And I was running sometimes two, three times a month. And I will, and I've said this many times, I would put any of the shows that I put together against any fucking show out there. I thought our shows um, were amazing, fun, talented shows. I thought they were very smartly booked, uh, great storylines. And the talent I had was not like the top-notch uh talent out there but i was able to i felt like i was able to do what paul did and put people in the right places in the right storylines and it was stuff where i was doing again like what paul was doing i was watching that stuff unfold and i was now popping myself as i'm watching on the monitor in the back or out in the crowd you know watching things and i thought we had a hell of a locker room a bunch of guys that were truly dedicated and wanted to see it work, but we just couldn't, we, we would draw, you know, my small house shows. I was doing like hundred, hundred and fifty, hundred, 150. And then I would do, um, like four big blowout shows each like season I would do. And I mean, I would draw for those two fifty, three hundred, 300, but my, uh, I was spending so much money between talent and um, promoting and writing a ring, writing a license, paying for a doctor to be there. By the time everything was said and done, I lost, you know, in those few years, I lost like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. And, uh, yeah. So, so
0: um, getting great, crowd. you know, I, I just probably should talk about this off the air, but that's okay. Um, you're a podcaster. hmm And I'm a guy that um, Johnny knows how hard we, Johnny's part of the Sunday show. Um, We bust our ass every, all week long to get content and create content and create content. You know, I'm constantly sending out emails. I mean, just like I was bugging you on Facebook Messenger, I constantly do that, you know. And um, if you're, man, I want, you know, my struggle is, I guess, is on YouTube, uh-oh, the other guy that was supposed to come on, he's going to join for a minute. I
2: think he might have a question. Uh, hey, so- hey, I'm so sorry I didn't make it on
1: tonight, and I so wanted to talk to Chubby Dudley. What's up, dude? How are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I don't know if this was already covered because I missed it. Um, do you have any Terry Funk stories?
2: Ooh. Um... How's it going, son? How are you doing cass <laughs>
1: doing all right terry was <laughs> terry was like, like such a he he reminded me of like the goofy drunk uncle at a family function <laughs> because he always he liked to drink he would always just be like very relaxed chilled and he would like talk, it's funny. Like I, I was, I shared a locker room with the guy for two years, and I don't think he ever knew my name, but he was always like one of the first people that would come and shake your hand and say hello to you. He was just such a, he was a beautiful, genuine human being. Um, yeah, he, he, I mean, there's no real crazy stories of, of Terry. Just, um. Watching, it's it's just watching him do what he did on those shows, and just thinking to myself, man, this guy's fifty-something years old, and he's he's double more than double my age at the time, and he's working fucking circles around ninety-five percent of this locker room.
2: Wow, wow, wow! Yeah, with his passing recently, I just feared I'd ask about him.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's we we had just mentioned him a few minutes before you hopped on, but um yeah, I, he he was truly just a great, great guy, a nice guy, and um you know the they had the feud with him and Eddie early on. Um, but the stuff that you know, once it became extreme and uh, the stuff with him, Sabu, cactus, all that stuff, just amazing, amazing stuff.
0: Another guy I'd like to meet, Sabu. Uh,
2: he just seems intense. I, mean... I want to be honest with everybody here, man. I would have loved to have seen Chainsaw Charlie in HW. <laughs> <ACW>. That <Zap laughs> would have been fucking mad. Madness. That's oh, funny. my God. <laughs>
1: it would have been a real Chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, um, I'm on limited time, guys. I'm sorry.
2: But I'm so glad that I at least got to meet you and say hi to you. Thank you
1: Pleasure very man. much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, and, Yep. See you guys later. Take, Take care. care.
0: Thank you, man. Um. So I'm strong. I'm at 288 subs on YouTube, you know, and I, I push every day and I grind every day. And we, you know, Johnny and I talk almost every day about what to do next, you know, and I'm not trying to make money off this. You know, if it happens, it happens. I'm just having fun with it. I guess that's my, what's what I have to go with. But if, I would love, if it, I don't care if it's page after page after page of feedback from someone like you, please feel free to give me feedback at a later date or, or now or whatever. It's, you
1: know, it, I, look, I'm the same way with the whole podcast thing. It's uh, It's frustrating. It's nerve wracking. Like I, I have, you know, my main show that I do, the Bay Ragney Show. I, I started it as a it was an audio podcast, which I did for like eight years. And then once we hit the pandemic and we start getting like Streamyard and Zoom and all that stuff, um, I switched to just video. And it used to be called Totally Driven Radio. Um, when I switched it to video, I just called it the Bay Ragney Show, and I just do interviews, just like we're doing right now, and I do. You know, music, sports, TV, movie, wh- whoever I'll sit and interview. Um, and sometimes I've gotten like big name people and I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And five people freaking watch it. Or I could turn around and have somebody from uh, playing on the corner, uh, guitar on the corner uh, with a bucket, and I'll put him on and then he'll get a thousand. Freaking views! Like I don't know the rhyme or reason <laughs> to it. Um, I, I've I've done all types of you know promotions and stuff like that. It's kind of more or less like you just got to keep plugging along. Yeah. And what I do, and I don't know if you do this, like every time I do an interview, what I'll do is I'll write up a press release and I send out press releases to all the sites to try to get the sites to share out the links and stuff like that um so that's one thing to definitely do okay.
0: okay because i uh, i i can't say that we haven't had success because in my opinion if five people watch ten people watch one person watch whatever at, later on the, it'll get views you know i mean but i have had and um, johnny's been on some of them we've had the opportunity to have shane taylor alex kane um
2: ken anderson
0: Dan Anderson one of our biggest. Jindrick, um, you know Shane. like I said Shane Taylor. C.W. Anderson. Gunner. Gunner. I mean, all those guys. So i we've done some big stuff, and, um, and I'm happy. We're I'm proud of that. Don't get me wrong. Sure. It's just that when you but when you look at the end of the day, you look at your numbers, and it's 288. I'm
2: like, the main thing. The main thing here is that when you start something out, and I've told you this before, um, is it's kind of like just planting a seed. And just letting it grow and every once in a while attending to it to make sure it's got enough uh, water, water on it and just letting it grow. It doesn't matter if it takes months or a few years or or something. Sometimes it takes that much time for something to grow into something not big, big, but -hmm. it could happen. Uh, But to get enough uh, to grow enough to where you actually gain a nice audience around a thousand people or more. And I believe I've, I firmly believe that it will happen in time. Um, that's why I keep telling you not, not, not to stop, never give up on this to keep going forward. And eventually every, like, you'll start to gain more viewers. Um, I know you've kind of seen me share stuff as well on my Facebook, even though I'm on shows that I'm not on, I'll take the time and,
0: and share it onto my page. And it's appreciate. I appreciate that Johnny. Really? I seriously do. Johnny is that's- one of my, one of my first guests that I've interviewed. Uh, about a, almost, uh, almost a year ago, I think. I yeah, back just about a year it. ago. But, but yeah, he was one of my first guests, and um, nice. It worked out good because Sid was uh, the second guest I had on, and um, it morphed into Extreme Power Hour on Wednesday, Iron Sunday. So we every okay. Sunday we get together, and if it, if we don't have a guest lined up, then cool, we'll just talk about the pay per views or whatever. So sure, that's how that started, and um, but I just want you know, feel please feel free if you see it, my stuff. Feedback. I, I love accepting feedback, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I will
1: I, th- love- I think you just need to like, like Johnny was saying too. For number one, don't give up because if you're enjoying it, that's all, all right. that fucking matters. Number one, right. it takes. Now I was just having this discussion with uh, my fiance because we do we have um <laughs> again more shows. So we have a reselling business that we do on eBay, and what we would do is we all videotape. Our excursions and in, in getting stuff and inventory, and then we sit and talk about stuff and blah 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 blah. So we have that channel, and we watch all these fellow YouTubers that do it, and they have thousands of subscribers. Right. And it, it, it same goes for podcasts. It just takes that one, that one interview, that one guest, that one video to hit, and when it hits, you'll, you you'll know. And you'll start getting into that algorithm. And once you get into that algorithm and it picks up, then it'll start pacing you.
0: Gotcha. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you for mm-hmm. that con- conversation. Thank you for that compliment, Johnny. Thank you for the encouragement as always. Um, no, no problem. But again, it, here's pop wrestling podcast has came to the end of the day. Um, I'd like to thank you. Our guest, um, Bay Bay
1: Thank you. K- Chubby
0: Dudley. Um, thank you for your stories. Thank you for. I'll never forget the Iron Sheik. Now, I mean, I that's that was probably one of the funniest <laughs> things I heard. I, that was epic. I'm just saying that was huge, right? That was a huge pop, you know. And uh, one day, hopefully, I get to meet you, guys, my my friend, and Oh, uh, uh,
1: when you come to Nashville, come on.
0: I will, and I will remember that. And you will, I will message you once or twice, once or twice every other week or something, just to see how you doing, man. I, I appreciate one, that. One thing I love about this is, be- and I, I said it to Johnny a year ago. I'll say it to everybody. Once I get to have you on my show, I will stay in contact because I just think that's, no, that's the right thing to do. So um, Absolutely. Johnny, thank you for coming aboard tonight. Um, thank I you, Johnny. I, I appreciate that. Um, Hit me up, man. Huge, Definitely pop, will. huge Pop Wrestling Podcast. Check out Pro Wrestling Tees. Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast for your Huge Pop T-shirts. Um, we got three brands out there. One up in the corner is a design that you can get. We designs. We have three designs, Um, and I appreciate all the people that are going to watch, subscribe to the channel. And again, um, before we leave, Mr. Uh, Bay Ragney, can you tell people where they can find your podcast, where they can find information on you?
1: All right. So uh, you can just look me up on Facebook. I'm not hard to find. Bay Ragney, Chubby Dudley. There's an official Chubby Dudley Facebook page, um, but I like I mentioned earlier in the interview, so I have my react and chill with chubby dudley youtube channel and um i'm literally going match by match and i usually release a new episode every two to three days um and i just talk about that match and i'm only up to june it's like june 15th 1993 so we're still very early in the eastern championship wrestling days uh we just got to the point where we debuted at the ecw arena um, so it's very early on, and uh, I don't pull no punches. I, I I talk shit about myself and others, and I praise when praise is due. And, uh, but I'm having fun, and it's kind of scary how much um, people were actually big fans of the Eastern Championship Wrestling stuff, and they want to know about it. I was sh- kind of shocked by that. But even so, please go subscribe to my channel because my channel's going to got uh, 300 and... 65 or 66 subscribers. So come on, I need a thousand. Let's go.
0: Let's go. Thank you again, huge pop wrestling fans. Follow Chubby Dudley. Johnny Cash can be found on Facebook, anywhere. Hit him up. Uh, and then watch for him around the, in the mid um midwest, right? Midwest yep. scene. Watch for yep. him in the midwest scene. And um, thank you again, guys, for the night. Uh stay. I'm gonna play our closing, but stay in the lobby. Um, I'd like to say goodbye. So yeah.
1: Worry Extra